Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, We are continuing a sermon series we just started last week called Rethinking, and we're rethinking things uh, that have to do with God, the church. Last week we talked about rethinking God and realizing that God is a friend, He is loving and caring, but He's so much more than that. He's the creator of all things. He has all power, all glory. He is sovereign. And so we talked about that tension between the loving God and the great all-powerful judge and how we have to combine those two when we rethink God. Well, today we're going to be rethinking salvation. We're going to rethink salvation and how we often view salvation. We're going to be over into Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, if you want to turn over to that. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. Uh, as you do, uh, that poll question is still live. I'm going to go to it here in, in just a second, so you can still go to your app, vote on that poll question, or if you feel strongly, you can vote again. That, that'll, be, that'll be fine as well. But let's read Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. Now, in this passage, when it picks up, the first part of Ephesians is basically a theological. Paul's talking about uh, things that have to do with God, salvation. And then the last part of the book of Ephesians has to do with how these things apply to your life. And so this is still that theology session, and uh, he talks about salvation uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. So let's see what Paul has to say. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his loving kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast." For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your word as we look into it now. Help us to understand it and then to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know how many of y'all knew this or not, but I have a new grandson. Did anybody know that? Yeah. I may have mentioned it once or twice, you know, that people might have shown you a picture every now and then or something. Well, he's nine weeks old, and one of the things, he's just now starting to get out a little bit that, you know, the mom and dad feel comfortable enough to begin to take him some places occasionally. And, uh, you know, they got this new fancy car seat with every kind of protective thing uh, in the world in it and all of that just to make sure that the baby is safe. 
But the, the history of the car seat is actually a pretty amazing thing. You know, we've always wanted our children to be safe, but I'm going to kind of run through and show you a quick history of the safety of child seats, uh, and we need to maybe rethink how we first started with some of these uh, child seats. Now, the original safety child seat was mom's arm. Anybody remember that? Mom was the original seat belt. She just ran over and grab you, and that was that was the original. Uh, but then there were some things as we started to go along that helped. Uh, here was one of the first that came out: the baby hammock. You just throw the baby in the hammock. It's safe as could be, right? What could go wrong? Uh, it's safest, most comfortable car bed ever made. Uh, that was there. So the baby hammock. Uh, here's another one that came along after that. Uh, you just take your, your uh, baby bassinet there, and you just hook it to the back of the seat. And again, more pleasure for the mother because she doesn't have to worry about the kid anymore. Kid perfectly safe. But then they begin to progress a little bit. Yeah, you can just throw the baby down right there, put the seatbelt on it. You were ready to go. Baby just lays there, has a good time. But then we kind of started getting into the modern era. And here's we get to the modern era. You know, you, you had the strap there. You think just sitting on the toy there would be painful. But, but regardless, you know, uh, you throw the baby in there, everything goes. But then safety became really paramount. And so we had these two come around. Uh, you had the big plastic thing with a pillow in it. I mean, what could go better than that was there. But then the kid grows up a little bit. And the kid becomes a toddler. What do you do with toddlers? Well, they knew what to do back then as well. You just strap them to the seat. The kid can't get out even if he wants to. So we look at some of these things and we think, okay, maybe we need to rethink the safety of car seats and glad we got to where we are today. Well, we're going to be looking in Ephesians chapter 2 and we're going to be rethinking salvation and how a lot of people view salvation. And the interesting thing is we're going to look at some stats today. Some of the stats are pretty disturbing. When asked why they don't witness, 66% of Christians... 66% said one of the main reasons they don't talk to other people about salvation is that they wouldn't know how to explain it or what to say. Now think about that for a second. The most important thing you're ever going to know in your entire life, how are you saved? And it's important because you want to know for yourself as well as others. Have I done the right thing? Do I, am I going in the right direction? All of that. Uh, you'd think that would be paramount and that everybody would at least know that. But 66% of Christians say they don't tell others about Jesus because they wouldn't know what to say or how to explain it. So we're going to look into what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at three main things in rethinking salvation that Ephesians chapter 2 points out and how we need to look at those things in a little bit different way. So let's jump right into Ephesians chapter 2. And the first thing is this. When it comes to salvation, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Now, let's look at our poll question here and see where we are at this particular time. Uh, it looks like uh, we have 90% uh, that say that you cannot be good enough to get into heaven. We have five people unsure and one that says yes. Okay, so you've obviously a lot of you have been here when I've preached before or something, something like that, uh, because that's a lot higher uh, than what we find in a recent Barnapo. A recent Barnapo, 52% 
of born-again Christians say the way you get to heaven is by being a good person. 52% of born-again Christians say the way you get to heaven is by being a good person. Now, we're going to see following here in Ephesians 2 that that's just not the case at all. Look down to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. We're just going to start out. We're going to kind of walk through this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, here's why you cannot be good enough to get into heaven. Here's why you can't know enough to get into heaven. Here's why you can't do enough right things to get into heaven. Because the Bible says at this point in your life, you are spiritually dead. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. Your sins have separated you from God. You are in a state of being spiritually dead. And when you are dead, you are dead and you can't do anything to bring yourself back to life. And so that's kind of the state we're in right now. In verse 2, he said, we used to live this way when we followed the ways of the world. So at one point, God wasn't in your life. You're doing whatever you wanted. You're following your own ways. But he says, when you're away from God, look at what happens to you. When you're away from God, you're not only following the ways of the world, you're following Satan himself. You're following the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the one who's in charge of this age. So you're following, basically you're living for Satan if you're not living for God, is what he says. You're dead and you're living for the world and you're living for Satan, is what we're told in verse 2. And then he goes on into verse 3 uh, and he says that again, as we look at this, uh, all of us live this way, all of us crave these things. And he says, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. So here we are, people estranged from God in our sins, spiritually dead. A spiritually dead person cannot bring themselves back to life again. And that's one of the main things we need to realize. So why do we think that you can be good enough to go to heaven? We think that somehow if you do enough good things, you're going to get to heaven because we're comparing ourselves with other people instead of comparing ourselves with a perfect God. And so when we compare ourselves to other people, we don't look that bad. Uh, but when we compare ourselves with God, there's quite a bit of gap there, uh, whether we realize it or not. Uh, several years ago, uh, I used to play racquetball when, when I was in college. And uh, I played, had a group of friends from college. I played down, down at the University of Louisville. I also played uh, at a couple of racket clubs around town. Uh, I was younger and faster and thing, things back then, you know, and everything. Well, I got what I thought was really good at racquetball. As a matter of fact, I had probably 10, 12 friends that I would play with, and I began to dominate every one of them. I could just destroy everybody I was playing with. And one day I was walking through uh, one of the racket clubs, and uh, one of the pros went walking by, and I walked up to her, and she said, how's it going? And I said, good. I said, man, I am really getting good at racquetball. And she said, oh, you are. And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, why don't we play this afternoon? And I said, well, you know, I'll take it easy on you, you know, but, you know, I'll play with you. And so we go out there, and she takes out her racket, and she says, well, I'm right-handed, but I'm going to play left-handed. And I said, well, you don't need to play left-handed. As a matter of fact, you better get limbered up before you play with your right hand. And then she said, no, I'm going to play left-handed. And she started playing with her offhand, and she would hit that ball on the serve, and it would be like that far from the ground, 
and I would have like zero chance of getting it. And before you knew it, she had blanked me like three games in a row and said, enough? And I said, you know, enough, uh, I'm through. And what I realized on the way home was this. I was good at racquetball compared to the people I was playing against. I wasn't good at racquetball, you know. There was a big difference. I just found some really bad people that I could play against, you know, uh, that was there. But I wasn't good at racquetball. And so when you compare yourself to other people, you begin to think you're better than you, than you are because you're comparing yourself to other sinful people and you're saying, well, look, I'm not as bad as they are. It's like 64 is an F on a test and you get a 40 and yet somebody else got a 10 and you go, man, I felt a lot less than they did. You know, or it's like, but it's still an F. You still fail. And so when we compare ourselves to other people, it's never going to get there. There's nothing you can do as a spiritually dead person to save yourself. Yet 52% of Christians believe the way that you are saved is by being a good person. And you can't be good enough to approach a perfect God. You're spiritually dead. Now what you can do with a spiritually dead person is you can fix them up and make them look better. You can make the cadaver look nice but it's still a dead body. Anybody who ever seen King Tut's tomb? I know it was touring a while back, went through Cincinnati. Yeah, several of you, several of you did uh, when, when it was going around. Well, King Tut's tomb was totally intact when they found it, and it was pretty impressive. Here's the sarcophagus from King Tut's tomb. So when you see that, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Then you open it up, and this is what you see when you open it up. Man, there's this unbelievable mummy wrapped in this amazing amazing gold-plated headgear and body gear. But then you take that off, and this is the next thing that you see. It's just a dead body. You can fix it up. You can make it look good, but it's just a dead body. And we can try to make ourselves look good compared to the world, but a spiritually dead person can't bring themselves back to life again. So that brings us to the next thing we're going to talk about. So the first thing is, okay, we need to rethink that you can be good enough to get into heaven. You can't. You're spiritually dead. So then the question becomes, okay, if I can't do anything, this is pretty depressing. What, what do I need to do then? Because, you know, I want to be saved. So, so what happens? So that's what we see next in our scripture passage. And what we see is this. Salvation is solely the work of God. We're saved through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and God's amazing grace. So look down to verse 4, verse 4 of our scripture passage. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now, this is a really important verse right here, because what he says is, you were spiritually dead. There was nothing you could do about it, but God in his great mercy made you alive again with Christ. It wasn't what you did. It is what he did. When Jesus went and died on the cross and took your sins upon him, that you might be forgiven. And so what we have here is God giving us mercy. And then he ends that verse, verse 5, by saying, It is by grace that you have been saved. Two great words are used in these two sentences. Mercy and grace. And they're two different things. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I deserve this punishment. I didn't get it. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And so in the mercy of God, you don't get the wrath and punishment of God that you deserve. In the grace of God, you're giving a blessing 
that you don't deserve. And the blessing is forgiveness of sin, salvation, uh, uh, being a part of the family of God. And so those two great things, mercy and grace, come into work. And the way that we are enlivened is by what Jesus did. We made us alive at the beginning of verse 5 with Christ. Now jump all the way down to verse 8. Verse 8 of our scripture passage. For it is by grace you have been saved through your faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. Can't get any clearer than this right here. Salvation is by grace alone. It is a gift you do not deserve that God has given you. He gives you that mercy. He gives you the gift of salvation. It's the only way that you were saved, and he makes it so plain in verses 8 and 9. He says you're saved by grace and grace alone. He goes on in verse 8 and says it's not from yourself. In other words, you can't be good enough, can't know enough, can't do enough. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It is not from your works, so you can't boast about it. Now, two things I want to point out here. The first is this. If you see somebody that thinks they're better than other people as a Christian, the holier than thou art, better than other Christians, it just shows they're an immature Christian that don't understand how they were saved in the first place. So instead of thinking, oh, I'm intimidated, they're such a good person, and I always feel like they're judging me and looking down on me, it just shows you they're a baby Christian that has no idea about the grace of God. That's what it says. Because if you're really saved by God's grace, what you understand is, I didn't deserve it. He loved me despite myself. He forgave me when I didn't deserve it, and now I'm going to heaven not because of what I did, but because of what he did, and I want you to know that same kind of love and grace that I do. And when you begin to get that in your head, it changes everything about it. Now, sometimes we don't always get that right, and we begin to think we deserve what we have, we're good, but it's not that way at all. Another thing he points out here uh, is right at the middle uh, of that verse where he says, it is by grace, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through your faith. So salvation is a gift of grace, but we still have a thing to do with it, and the thing is, it's our faith. We have to ask God to forgive us and to come into our life. He's not going to force salvation upon you. It comes when you activate your faith and ask God into your life, and you have to accept what God's given to you. I can give you a gift, but you have to accept the gift. Uh, back in the playoffs here in the NBA back in the spring, the uh, Boston Celtics were playing the Milwaukee Bucks. And right when the game was getting ready to start, uh, a guy proposed to his girlfriend. Uh, got, got a picture of that right here. How sweet is that? Proposing to his girlfriend right behind uh, the bench that's right there. Well, if you could see the video, she shakes her head no, sits down. Uh, the next picture that we have here, she's just sitting there as he still keeps trying to give her the ring. The best is the player turning around and looking there and going, man, that poor dude, you know, he, he just got rejected right there in front of everybody on national television, uh, you know, that's there. She was offered a ring and a proposal, but she had to say yes to it. And in the same way you were offered salvation and God's gift of grace, you still have to say yes to it. And so uh, we begin to think, okay then, the only way I'm saved is by Jesus and the cross. And that brings us to another thing we need to rethink that comes from these same passages of Scripture that we look at. And that is that sometimes we begin to think Jesus is not the only way to salvation. 
70% of Christians in that same Barnapo said that if you say Jesus is the only way of salvation, it sounds uh, exclusive and it sounds rude. Okay, Even if they agreed with it, 70% said it sounded exclusive and rude. But another 60% said that they believe there are multiple ways to be saved. It's not just through Jesus. Now here's the thing. Is it exclusive to say Jesus is the only way to salvation? And the answer is yes. It is exclusive. But there's a reason behind it. Nothing else can raise you from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive again. It's only the work of Christ. I know a lot of people who are very sincere Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus. I know people in all those religions. And I tell you one thing, I know the things they believe and the way they live and the way they act has helped their lives. It's made their life better and it's pushed their life forward and it helped them in this life. But it can't make them spiritually alive. The only thing that can make you spiritually alive when you're spiritually dead is Jesus Christ. And so that's what we need to begin to understand. Is it exclusive? Yeah, but salvation is solely the work of what Jesus did on the cross. Acts 4.12 perhaps puts it best. It says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And so the, the first two things we've looked at that we need to rethink, that I can earn my salvation and that there's other ways to salvation besides Jesus. And then the end of our chapter here, the end of our, our, our scripture, uh, there's one other thing we need to rethink, and that's this. Accepting Christ is not the end of anything, it's the beginning of everything. Sometimes as Christians we think, okay, I believe in God, I accept God, I followed Him in baptism, Woo! glad that's over with. It's not the end of anything, it's the beginning of everything. And so sometimes we get that totally wrong when it comes to God. Look down to verse 6 and 7. It says, God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So Jesus raises us from the dead. We were spiritually dead. He raises us to new life in Christ. And in the coming ages, when people see our salvation and the riches of God's grace, they're going to express how great a God that we worship. That's fantastic, right? So we think, okay, I've been saved. It's all over. Thank you. I've got my insurance policy. I'm finished. Which is often how we view salvation. I'm, I've got my insurance policy, it's all over with. But that's not the way the scriptures talk about salvation. Salvation is seen as a process where you get closer and closer to God. It's not fulfilled until heaven because we're not going to be perfect until heaven. We're going to mess up into this world. But not only that, God has a purpose for our lives after we are saved. Let's look down to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the whole point of your salvation is to bring you into a relationship with God as his children and you are now serving God. The gifts and the abilities that you have are now supposed to be bringing other person, people into relationship with God. It's supposed to be caring and helping other people. You were created in Christ Jesus, that's talking about your salvation, not, not your birth. 
uh, not your physical birth. When you were saved, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Salvation wasn't the end of the matter. It started your new life in Christ where you're now living in a new way, doing new things with a new purpose and new priorities. And so instead of seeing salvation as the end of anything, it's the beginning of everything. And that's what we have to realize. So we need to rethink salvation. We need to rethink that we can be good enough to get into heaven. We can rethink that there's ways besides Jesus. Only he can make us not spiritually dead. And we need to rethink that we've done all we need to do. What we happened in our salvation was we began a new life where now God expects good works from us. In a few months, our church is going to be taking a mission trip to Moldova. Uh, we're helping some IMB missionaries there in Moldova who are really... Uh, trying to transform a village uh, that is in that area, and we're going to be sending a mission team there uh, soon. But there was just recently a Billy Graham cra uh, crusade uh, in Moldova, and Will Graham uh, preached at this crusade. 10,000 people showed up at the Chisnau Arena. Another 8,000 watched online there in Moldova. And during the invitation, a young man by the name of Alexander came down. I got a picture of Alexander here uh, with the uh, counselors that he is praying with uh, when he came down. And this is what Alexander told the counselors. My mom and dad believed in the gospel. They've told me all about it, but I never repented and I never stopped the way I was living because I just wanted to live that way. And then I realized I had gotten so far away and I couldn't find my way back. But today, Reverend Graham preached about a prodigal son who tried to come home, and his father ran and met him. And that's what I am doing today. I'm coming home to my father. In that one simple testimony, what Alexander said was, I got so far away, I couldn't do it by myself. And there was no way back except the Father coming to get me. And so when he walked down that aisle and made that profession, it was over for Alexander, right? He didn't need to read his Bible anymore, or go to church, or get closer to God, or try to do anything good. No. His life, his new life in Christ, was just beginning. It was a new world and a new destination. And that's what we need to understand. You can't be good enough can't know enough you can't do enough it's only jesus and when we come to him our new life starts let's have a prayer father thank you for your word i just pray that you'll help us to hold on to it and to take it seriously in jesus name we hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you if you have prayer needs or want more information about us we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.